Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com's email address. Uh, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter is where you can find us at. Um, you can leave a review on Podchaser. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can leave a review on uh, Pocket Cast and on Stitcher. Um, just let me know where you left it at so then I can find it. When last we left this book, it had left on some fuckery. Like, one of the biggest issues I have with books that have a sequel is that they seem to end in a place where they don't have to end. You know what I'm saying? Like, it seems like they end at a cliffhanger where a cliffhanger doesn't have to happen. And this is the worst cliffhanger I'd ever seen at the end of the cartel book number one with Mia Moore saying this nigga's a killer. He'll never be like me where they're basically teasing that Mia Moore is going to get killed. And the last thing they say is fuck you. So now we're wondering if Mia Moore died, I guess. But if Mia Moore didn't die, she'll never be the same, right? Because they literally beat her, cut her poured ammonia on her, poured ammonia down her throat, they're poisoning her and all that kind of stuff. There's literally no way she can make through that, right? But this being the type of book that it is, yeah, it can definitely happen. So, with that said, let's go ahead and start up book number two of The Cartel, Tale of the Murder Mamas. Prologue. Oh, goody! They recap everything. I'm not doing that shit. Listen to the last episode of the last book, season 10. Listen to that. I'm not recapping. I don't do that. I don't do the prologues if all it's doing is rereading the last chapter of the book because all y'all niggas did is really not make two separate books. All you did was make one big ass book and then your publisher was like, this is too fucking big. And you're like, where should we split this? All right, this is good. So I'm not going to do that. Fuck that shit. All right, so in hindsight... They only had that first sentence be the prologue. So, alright, I take that back. They doing alright, but it still seems like they split books in half and shit. I ain't backing off of that at all. I'm gonna kill you, bitch. Fabian threatened as he prepared to finish a job that Mecca had started. Mia Moore's body was giving up on her. She shook violently from the cold that was settling in. It's so cold. It's so cold. She's got an icebox where her heart used to be. I feel like I used that joke already. She thought as her teeth chattered. Death loomed in the air like an elephant in the room. She could feel death coming. She didn't fear it. Unlike the bitch nigga in front of her, she embraced her fate. 
She smiled slightly because she knew that she would see Fabian in hell and wouldn't hesitate to get it popping. Even in death, she would be sure she had the last laugh. She couldn't fight Fabian off of her. She was too weak, and on this day, she felt it in her soul that she was going to die. She knew that she was at a disadvantage. For the first time in her life, she was the weak one. She was at the mercy of the man in front of her. And to make matters worse, she was personally responsible for his strife, so he had something to prove. Mia Moore knew how niggas thought, and by cutting off his dick, she had robbed him of his manhood. His pride was wounded, and because of that, he would show her no mercy. The fact that she was a female didn't mean shit to Fabian. He had seen firsthand what she was capable of. He had been her victim, and now she was his. Fate had tipped in his favor, and karma's a bitch. A big bitch. He was determined to get his revenge, and it would be sweet, slow, and sweet. Mia Moore was confined to the chair. The ties dug into her skin, rendering her helpless while Fabian attacked her. She felt each blow as he struck her repeatedly. The impact of his fists invaded her brain, terrorizing her existence. Oddly enough, she was grateful for Fabian's attack, because it was much less vicious than the tyranny Mecca had bestowed upon her. Mia Moore began to laugh slightly because she realized that even at her weakest state, she was still stronger than Fabian. Mecca's blows had left her helpless and made her respect his ruthlessness. Mecca was her equal. His murder game matched her own. But Fabian was beneath her. At this moment, he was physically stronger than she was, but mentally, he was pathetic, and she could still sense that he feared her, which is why he hadn't hit her with all his might. The fuck you laughing at, bitch? Fabian asked in frustration as he struck her again, enraged that he wasn't making her feel pain like Mecca had. Mia Moore had begun to cough up blood, but that didn't stop her from laughing. Her blood-stained teeth agitated Fabian even more as he watched her spit out a glob of blood. She knew that the only way to get out alive was to get inside of Fabian's head. She had to tip the scales in her favor again. She was going to make him fear her without even laying hands on him. He had no heart and she sensed it. She, on the other hand, had the heart of a lion and was about to eat him alive. Fabian eventually stopped hitting Mia Moore and staggered away from her. Sweat dripped from his forehead as he looked at her in confusion. His chest was heaving in exhaustion. This bitch is crazy, he thought as the dismay he felt spread across his face. I let you keep your life last time, Mia Moore said as she spit blood from her mouth. She was dizzy and she knew she didn't have much time. Her life was on a countdown. She was slipping away. Her energy was low, and she could feel her life fading. Her body urged her to succumb to the pain, but her mind and strong will pushed her forward. If this was her day to die, then so be it, but she had never given up anything without a fight. She was going to fight for her life, and her weapon of choice was her mind. What? Fabian asked. He was in disbelief at how resistant Mia Moore was to pain. He didn't know that she was suffering in agony because she would never allow him to see it. Mia Moore was fucking up his mental, playing a game of mental chess where she devised the rules. She could see the hesitation in his eyes. 
All she had to do was keep talking. You think my girls don't know where I am right now, Fabian? Even if you do kill me, there are two bitches just like me that are still out there, and they gonna come for you, my nigga, she said. Bitch, you can't threaten me, Fabian said nervously as he slapped her once more, the force behind the fading even more. I don't make threats, sweetie. I make promises. What? You think they won't know who did this to me? Your fingerprints and DNA are all over this fucking basement, dummy. They're all over me, Fabian. We do this for a living. It's not a game with us. We let you live last time. You can kill me, but you better know that my girls are going to come for you. And next time, they're going to do a lot more than leave you dickless. They're coming, Fabian. Fabian's eyes shifted around the room as if he was the one who was there against his will. As if he was looking for an escape. Mia Moore coughed violently and her breathing became labored as she struggled to keep her strength. Keep talking, Mia. Talk yourself right out of this shit, she thought. They're coming, Fabian. Now you just gotta decide. Are they coming to rescue me? Or are they coming to murder you? Killing me won't make you a bigger man. You're stepping into the big leagues by fucking with me, Fabian. Are you ready? Do you think you have what it takes to kill someone like me? Every action has a reaction. Even in death, I could touch you, Fabian. Trust, she spat. Man, I just noticed they didn't have a, a, a intro quote. That would have been a good one. Fuck, Fabian shouted as he began to pace back and forth in the room. He was torn. I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel. I'm cold and I am shamed. Lying naked on the floor. Illusion never changed into something real. I'm wide awake and I can see the perfect sky is torn. You're a little late. I'm already torn. I'm sure he wasn't thinking about that, but that's the first thing that popped in my head. I'm I'm sorry. He didn't want to see the wrath of the murder mamas, but at this point, he felt like he was in too deep. He couldn't turn back now. Right, because if he turns back now, Mecca's going to kill him. Or, you know, at least deride his manhood, which is going to make him feel bad because this is still like, what, 2008? I don't know when this fucking book was written. Hold on, I'm going to look. Okay, second book came out in 2014. Cool, 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 cool. He pointed his gun at Mia Moore, deciding to just kill her and get it over with. His finger wrapped around the trigger, but when his eyes met hers, he saw the devil in them. His lip began to quiver. He lowered his weapon. I know you're not just going to let me get away with this. Even if I don't kill you, you're going to come for me. Maybe. Maybe not, Mia Moore said. The point is that you have a chance to live if you don't kill me. You show me favor, I might show you mercy. But if you kill me, you might as well set your watch, nigga. Because within the week, you'll be eating hollow points. Fabian fidgeted. His hand began to shake. And he put his hands over his ears to drown out her words. Set your watch, nigga. Set your watch, You'll be eating hollow points within the week. Me and Moore's words echoed through his brain, and what had started off as a planned murder was becoming a game of survival of the fittest. Fabian didn't know it, but he had just transferred the power right back into Me and Moore's hands by letting her fuck with his psyche. If he had been smart, 
he would have killed her quick. But he had given her time to think. He had given her the opportunity to bring it to his ass, without even knowing that she had just conquered him mentally. No doubt about it, if Mia Moore was a nigga, she would have been an American gangster. She was just that crucial. Ah, I see. American Gangster started her up in 2013. This isn't the movie that they're talking about. This is talking about the BET show, where they profiled a bunch of gangsters, black gangsters in America. American Gangster. Okay, you get it. She was just that crucial. Even while teetering at the edge of death, she refused to lose. I want your word, Fabian said as he pointed the gun back at me and more. His aim was so shaky that even if he pulled the trigger, he would miss a shot. His nerves were shot, and he truly feared the woman in front of him. He knew that whoever made her the way she was had to be ruthless. He hated her, but he didn't want to be the one to bring her death in fear of the repercussions. If I let you go, you won't come for me. Say it. Mia Moore bit her tongue because she knew that it wasn't a promise that she could keep. But she extended it anyway in order to save herself. She swallowed what felt like a lump in her throat. But the salty taste of blood let her know that even if Fabian let her go, she could still die. Time was of the essence and her body was letting her know that if she didn't get help soon, she'll be going to meet her maker. She and her sister will be reunited sooner than she thought if she didn't get out of there. Let me go. And you have my word. Fabian approached her slowly and kept his shaky aim on her as he removed one of her hands from the duct tape. He then backpedaled towards the stairs. Mia Moore's eyes never left him. They were like a constant threat as he took the stairs upward one by one. Until finally he reached the top. Mia Moore nodded and watched him rush out of the door. Is Mecca no longer there? Did, did Mecca like leave? Wait. It didn't say that Mecca left. It said that Mecca told her that he was going to let his lightweight or his man handle his lightweight and then let Fabian start beating up on him. It was like Tupac and um, hit him up when he was like, I don't even need to be on this track. I'm going to let my lightweight handle y'all motherfuckers. So Mecca should still be upstairs like, yeah, why the fuck you let her go? But as soon as he disappeared from her sight, she let out a scream of excruciating pain. Ah! She yelled as tears filled her eyes. She used her free hand to try and remove the rest of the tape from her body. Her grip was so weak, which made the effort of freedom so much harder to attain. She was hurt. Badly. She could barely breathe, and no matter how hard she tried, she just couldn't free herself from the chair. The world around her spun wildly as if she was on a merry-go-round. In frustration, she rocked the chair back and forth as she struggled to loosen her arms. Come on, get the fuck up, get out of this, you cannot die down here, she cried silently, forcing herself to move. Mia Moore put two hands on the ground and attempted to stand again. She resembled a child who was learning to walk for the first time as she put her arms out to steady her balance. She closed her eyes to stop the spinning and stumbled as quickly as she could up the stairs. She fell repeatedly as blood poured from every opening on her body. Her eyes burned from the chemicals Mecca had doused her with. She could barely see. The world through her eyes was one big blur, making the stairs almost impossible to climb. Her bleeding legs, back, and arms were unbearable. She didn't care that she was naked. All she wanted to do was get out of there. She needed to get to a hospital quickly. 
She burst from out of the basement with a desperation she had never known. Panic set in, and her legs threatened to give out. She stumbled out of the abandoned house and into the city street. She saw people and urged her body to carry her in their direction. What the fuck? She heard somebody say. Oh my god! Another voice called out. Her vision blurred, and the merry-go-round in her head spun faster and faster. She grasped the air for support that wasn't there. Help me, she whispered. Those are the last words that left her mouth before she collapsed face first. Her head hit the pavement with a sickening thud, causing her entire world to go black as blood flowed onto the streets. Help! Fuck, they're doing it again. Oh, God. This is all the prologue, by the way. Just jump from person to person. But at least now we have dots to let us know we got to a new spot. So I can't fault him for this this time. We'll see if that continues. Hopefully it continues. Help! Somebody help me! Breeze yelled. She felt the branches and leaves hitting her face and arms like whips as she ran full speed through the thick jungle. She felt the dirt and rocks underneath her bare feet, cutting them and nicking them as she ran, but her only concern was getting away from a crazed Mati. She scrambled desperately, crying to herself as she made her way. She didn't know where she was going. She just wanted to get as far away from Mati as she could. She was going to run as long as her legs allowed her to. She could hear his voice yelling her name, and it only encouraged her to run faster. His voice echoed through the jungles that sat in the secluded black mountains and sent chills down Breed's spine. She had been locked in his basement for the past eight months and finally got a chance to escape when Mattia had gotten too comfortable and let her go upstairs. The warm rays of the sun felt unfamiliar to her because her body had become adjusted to the confinement of the luxury basement that she had been trapped in. Wait, 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 wait. I know, I know. But wasn't this like back to back? Right? Like, the situation that happened with Breeze was happening at the same time as Mia Moore and Mecca, right? Which means eight months, eight more months hadn't passed? Like, wait. So, when Mati was talking to her, he said the six months had passed. So, for Mia Moore, the second book happened immediately afterwards. But for Breeze, two months had passed? Okay. Breeze couldn't see anything but tall, green, exotic plants and leaves as she brushed past them with both hands in front of her, pushing them aside to protect her face. She ran and ran until the sound of Matisse's voice faded in the distance behind her. She stopped to catch her breath and sat at the base of a tree while looking around in fear. She breathed heavily as tears streamed down her face and her lungs worked in overdrive, desperately searching for more oxygen. The air was thin and muggy, which made it hard to breathe due to the high altitude of the tall mountains. Where the fuck am I? Breeze asked herself as she rested her hand on her chest and felt her heart beating rapidly. Her eyes scanned her surroundings anxiously. Desperately, she stood back up to continue her escape. Little did she know, she was just wasting her time. The jungle shape was a gigantic circle that led right back to Matisse's palace. While Breeze breathed heavily in an attempt to catch her breath, 
she felt a painful pinch near her ankle. She quickly jerked her leg back and began to examine it, but she didn't see anything. She directed her eyes directly on where the pain was coming from and noticed a small blood puddle on her ankle that resembled a bite. The sting instantly became an excoriating hurt, and she began to grimace while rubbing the small bite. She tried to stand up, but quickly she was knocked back to her bottom because of her dizziness. Her sight began to blur, and sweat beads began to form, eventually trickling down her forehead as she began to experience hot flashes. Before she knew it, she had passed out at the result of all the pain. Hours later, Mati found Breeze passed out against that same trick, defeat written all over her face. He smiled as he whispered, Sleeping Beauty, as he approached her. He took his time before going after her after she escaped, knowing that it was impossible for her to navigate her way out of the jungles. It was nearly impossible for somebody to exit the Black Mountains if they didn't know them like the back of their hand. Mati approached Breeze and ran his finger through her hair, hoping she would wake up. He noticed that she didn't move and was sweating profusely. She was still breathing, but something wasn't right. He shook her with force, but still didn't get a response. Mati then looked at the exotic tree that she was lying underneath, and noticed that it was a black oak tree. He quickly became nervous and scooped up Breeze into his arms. Her body was limp, and she wasn't responding to his touch whatsoever. See what you done done to yourself? Mati said in his heavy Haitian accent. Mati noticed the thin red streaks going up Breeze's leg, an indication of a spider bite. He instantly knew that she had been bitten by a black widow, one of the most poisonous spiders found in the Black Mountains. The black oak was known for housing their nests. He knew that he had to get her back to the house before it spread any further. He had anti-venom back home and knew it was only a matter of time before the bite would kill Breeze. He held Breeze securely in his arms and headed back to his place to administer the medicine to his beauty queen. <laughs> Black Widow, spiders. <laughs> Y'all can talk about the scariest movies in the whole wide world to yourself, but to me, I'm still trying to fight my way through seeing arachnophobia for the first goddamn time. Same thing for eight-legged freaks and anything else with big-ass spiders. And that includes the fucking movie Big-Ass Spider. <sighs> scariest part to me of Gremlins Part 2 was nothing else. Everything else was funny except for that one fucking gremlin that turned into a big ass spider. Oh my god. <laughs> Zaire sat in front of the thick glass that separated him and his mentor, Carter. He watched the guard escorted Carter to the seat. Carter wore an orange jumpsuit, and Zaire noticed that being incarcerated hadn't changed a thing about him. He still had the same confident swagger that he possessed the day he went in. He had grown a small beard. But beside that, Carter looked the same. Carter sat down and looked across at the young man that he had molded into his likeness. Zaire picked up the phone and placed it to his ear. Before picking up the phone, Carter paused and smirked as he looked at Zaire. Good to see you, my nigga, Carter said after he finally picked up the phone. Good to see you too, Carter. How you holding up? Zaire asked with sincerity all in his voice. I'm good. Ready to see that outside, feel me? Carter said with intensity in his eyes. Zaire nodded his head, already knowing what Carter was getting at. I feel you. 
I've just been waiting for the word, fam, he replied as his adrenaline began to pump. Their former comrade had turned snitch and was set to testify against Carter in the upcoming trial, which was set to start a week later. The authorities let Zaire go in the aspirations of catching the big fish, which was Carter. The judge let Zaire go on bail, but held Carter after the DA had informed him of Carter's kingpin status. They saw him as a potential flight risk because of his international drug ties and his unlimited finances, so he was forced to stay behind bars. I want you to start putting everything in motion. We don't let them have their time to shine. Now it's my turn, Carter said, referring to the media and the district attorney's office. They made it a big deal in the local and national media that they had captured the head of one of the most treacherous drug rings in the South, the cartel. They had news conferences displaying the drugs recovered from the bus and act as if they had Carter's conviction in the bag. But little did they know. Carter was just holding his cards for the right time, and since the trial was approaching, it was his turn to make his move. The only thing linking Carter to the drugs was the testimony of Ace. Ace was once Carter's right-hand man, but folded under pressure and cooperated with the law. Wrong move. Everything's been taken care of. Mecca's on it now, Zaire said as he grinned slightly. Mecca looked down and watched as his shaft disappeared and reappeared at the expense of Sheila's head game. He placed his hand on the back of her head as he tried his best to stay hard as she pleased him. He was in no way attracted to the girl that was going down on him, but it was all business, and he had to do what he had to do to get his brother Carter free. He was back in Flint, Michigan, Carter's old hometown, and also the hometown of Ace's snitching ass. Ace was in the custody of the FBI under the witness protection program, so he had to lure Ace to him, rather than go after a federally protected man. Can't believe this shit, Mecca mumbled under his breath as he looked at the rolls that hung out of Sheila's halter top. He didn't mind being with a woman with a little meat on her bones, but Sheila was straight up sloppy. She let herself go after Ace got her pregnant, and a couple months after she got knocked up, Ace left for Miami with Carter and Zaire. Mecca had been dealing with Sheila for over a month and played the role of a man who was falling in love. But in actuality, he couldn't wait until Ace slipped up and contacted her. His time was running out because of the upcoming trial, at which Ace was scheduled to take the stand. Carter was sure to get life on the drug trafficking charges if convicted. I want some of this dick, Sheila seductively said as she rose up and began to slowly take off her clothes. Mecca stood up with his tool in his hand and watched attentively. He wasn't at all fascinated by her body, but when he saw juices dripping from her pulsating womanhood, he got hard as a missile. His pole grew two inches longer as he stepped out of his pants and slowly stroked himself as she got completely naked. The veins in his rod began to show, and his blood began to flow to his tip. Mecca reached for a condom out of his pants pocket and gave it to her so she could do her trick with just putting on the rubber without using her hands. He watched and threw his head back and prepared for the ride Sheila was about to take him on. Once Mecca was protected, Sheila straddled him and let him ease into her wetness. You like that, Chris? Sheila asked as she called Mecca by the wrong name. Mecca almost didn't answer, forgetting that he had told her a fake name to conceal his true identity. Yeah, I like that, Ma. 
Mecca answered just before he took her left breast into his mouth and palmed both of her big cheeks. Sheila rotated her hips in slow circles while moaning loudly and throwing her head back in pleasure. The sound of skin smacking echoed throughout the small apartment, which must have awakened the baby, because crying erupted from the next room over, interrupting their sexual flow. Who shit, Sheila said as she tried to get as many strokes in as possible before she had to go check on her infant baby boy. Let me check on my baby, she said as she stopped moving and hopped off of Mecca, leaving him with a stiff one. Mecca watched as she walked away and stared at the tattoo that was on her lower back that read Ace. The thought of Ace made Mecca furious as he held his rod in his hand. Just as Sheila got the baby to stop crying and laid him back into his crib, her house phone rang. Mecca looked at the caller ID while alone in the bedroom and saw that the calls from a blocked number. He quickly sat up and called to Sheila. Want me to get your phone? He asked, knowing that Sheila wasn't going to allow that. Sheila hurried back into the bedroom so that she could pick up the phone. She didn't want Ace to call and find out that she had another nigga in her house. She knew that the money would stop if he knew her little secret. I got it, Sheila replied anxiously as she picked up the phone. Hello? Hey, baby, Ace said on the other line in a low, calm voice. He was at a payphone in Wyoming right outside of the motel where he was being held into the upcoming trial. He looked around to make sure that the federal agents didn't see him at the payphone. They weren't supposed to allow him to use the phone at all but he snuck out while they were asleep to talk to his baby mother. I miss you, he added. I miss you too, baby, Sheila said as she walked out of the room and gave Mecca a signal to be quiet by putting her finger on her full lips. Where are you at, Ace? I've been worried about you. I haven't heard from you in months, she said as she stood in the kitchen with one hand on her hip. I can't tell you that right now, Sheila. But anyway, how my shorty doing? He asked in concern as he kept looking over his shoulder to check and see if the coast was clear. He's fine. He's in their sleep right now. He missed his daddy, though. I've been worried sick about you. I can't get a phone call or anything, huh? Sheila asked with obvious irritation in her voice. I'm in some heavy shit right now, but everything's going to be okay in a couple weeks, Ace said thinking about how he would start a new life in Wyoming under the Witness Protection Program. He planned on taking his hood rat baby mama and settling down so they could raise their son together. He thought that neither Carter nor Zaire knew about his son, but the streets were talking, and it didn't take much for Zaire to find out Ace's little secret. When Zaire found out about the baby, he quickly put Mecca on Sheila. I hope so. Because we need you here with us, Sheila responded as she smiled at the sound of Ace's voice. She almost forgot that Chris was in the back waiting for her to have sex, and she peeked back towards the back of the apartment and saw him open in the refrigerator. She slightly tensed up. She didn't even hear him creeping up behind her while on the phone. She placed her finger to her lips once again to remind him to remain silent. She looked away from him and continued to listen closely to Ace. Have you been getting that money I've been sending you? Ace asked. Yeah, I... Before Sheila could finish the sentence, a loud blast erupted and her brains were all over the kitchen wall. Mecca stood behind her with a smoking gun as he watched her body collapse and her bloody phone fall to the floor.
Sheila, Ace yelled as he jumped at the sound of the blast through the phone. Sheila, what was that? He yelled into the phone as his eyes began to shift nervously while he gripped the phone tightly. Mecca let off another round in Sheila's twitching body for good measure and reached down to pick up the phone. He had been waiting for Ace to call for weeks and his wish had just been granted. What's going on, playboy? Mecca said with enthusiasm as if he was greeting a friend. Why the fuck did this nigga do this shit? Like this is... It's the same shit he did to Breeze. Like, just hold on, dude. Fumbling the bag. Fuck. Ace scoffed as he took the phone from his ear and put it on his chest. He already recognized Mecca's voice and his heart rate sped up. He hoped to God that the second gunshot wasn't for his son. He slowly put the phone back to his ear. Listen real close, okay? Your bitch is already gone to meet her maker. Now it's your choice if you want me to send little Ace right behind her. Mecca said as he went to the back, set his gun on the dresser, and picked up Ace's baby boy. Hey, little man, Mecca said in a playful voice while still holding the cordless phone to his own ear so Ace could hear him clearly. Ace sat and listened to the giggles of his own son and regretted not taking his own flesh and blood out of harm's way. Don't touch my motherfucking son. He seethed in between his clenched teeth. Whoa, whoa, hold up. You're not in a position to be barking orders, homeboy. You listen to me, and I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. Mecca commanded as he held little Ace in his arm and rocked him gently. You aren't going to testify against my man. You are going to get up there on that stand and catch amnesia. Feel me? Yeah, I hear you. Just leave my son out of it, man. Ace said in a pleading tone. Should have thought about that before you got to singing like a motherfucking bitch. Snitch ass nigga. Mecca yelled, getting upset just at the thought of Ace being a rat. Ace remained silent, knowing that he couldn't possibly snitch on Carter and the cartel anymore. Too much was on the line. He would rather face federal charges himself than leave his newborn son at the mercy of a nigga like Mecca. If Carter gets convicted, say goodbye to his son. It's all on you, Mecca threatened just before he hung up the phone and dropped it. He held Ace's baby up and blew on his stomach playfully, making little Ace laugh and squirm. Mecca smiled and hoped that he wouldn't have to send the baby to the same place he had just sent Sheila. He didn't want to be a killer, but snake niggas like Ace left him no choice. He stared down at the baby in his arms and whispered, it's all up to your daddy, little man. It's all up to your snitching ass pops. Chapter 1. Me and more. I'm trapped, stuck in between my past and my future, and I don't know which one to choose or which way to go. I remember everything that happened to me. It's so vivid in my mind. I can still feel my heart beat rapidly for the love I have for Carter, and at the same time, I could feel my temperature rise at the thought of his brother, Mecca. I remember Mecca fucking me up. I could still feel the whip of his chain as it ripped through the flesh on my legs. I could hear the menacing sound of his voice. How in the fuck he caught me slipping? I don't know. But I can't let him beat me. He can't win. But there's nothing I can do when I can't even open my eyes. No matter how hard I try, I can't seem to wake up. I can't speak. 
I can't move. I can't do anything. And everything around me is black. I know how I got here, but how the fuck do I get out? For the first time in a long time, I'm afraid. So now we first person in it, I guess. I wish I had my girls with me, because with them, nothing's impossible. With them, we run through niggas like Mecca, collect our paper, and keep it pushing to the next job. But our difference of opinion on the cartel broke us apart. I did what I thought I would never do. I chose a nigga, Carter, over the murder mamas. I can see the light that so many people talk about before dying, but in my case... It's more like a fire that's waiting to consume me. I'm standing between the gates of hell and my childhood, but they're equal to one another. Either way I go, the pain will be too much for me to handle. My past is something that I don't want to remember. I forgot about it for a reason. I gave myself amnesia so I wouldn't have to relive it, and I left it behind a long time ago. I don't want to have to repeat it, but I don't want to die either. I have a choice. I can walk into the light right now and let it all end here. I can submit myself to God's mercy and face my judgment in that light. Or I can face my past and figure out how my childhood affected me and made me into the woman, the killer, the bitch I am today. Those are my options. Face death or face life. It's a hell of a choice, but I guess it's my destiny. I'm not ready to meet my maker. I still have too much to do. And there are so many things left in my life unsettled. There are so many debts that I still have to collect on. And so many that I still owe. So I'm going to introduce you to my past. I'm going to let you meet the innocent little girl I used to be before the corruption, the money, the bodies, and the bullshit. Don't judge me. Just rock with my story as I tell it all. The hood, the bad, and the ugly. This is me, me and more. The life of a murder mama. God damn it. Okay. Alright. So, this whole book's gonna be about me and more with... uh, Because Carter's in jail and... Mecca's chasing after Ace and... Zaire might go looking for Breeze or whatever. But this is a story about how me and more and Anissa and Robin and Aries form the murder mamas. Alright, I'm here for it, I guess. Let's see where it takes us. 916-633-1537. Ratchetandratchet at gmail.com is the email address. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Um, Leave a review on Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher. Yeah. Uh, become a patron of patreon.com backslash single simulcast. Uh, buymeacoffee.com backslash sscast. You can become a member over there as well. Uh, if you become a member over there, uh, you'll get access to early content for all of the shows. Thank you so much for listening. I do greatly appreciate it. Uh, any help y'all can give as far as uh, Patreon or Buy Me a Coffee is greatly appreciated. Um, but yeah, y'all be good. I'll holler at you later. Peace.
intro and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by that kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this feat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you're 